0: Sales, when done right, is a loving invitation for people to buy something they want or become more of who they were meant to become, achieve more of what they want. If I'm selling something of great integrity, something good, I'm extending an invitation for people to have something that would be the sort of thing that could make their life a little bit better. And so if I think of sales as an invitation to something great, I need to recognize as a salesperson that my responsibility is to invite people. Sales is simply making it as easy as possible for the right people to
1: say yes. You're in for a real treat today with my guest, Justin Janowski. Justin has spent the past 17 years mastering sales, leadership, and business development. He was successful as a Cutco sales rep and manager from 2006 to 2011, where he learned some of the foundational keys to influence. Now, as the founder and CEO at faith to influence Justin helps Christian coaches to optimize their business models and sales strategies so that they can scale their impact in a high-integrity way. He is a true expert in the art of influence, and in this conversation today, he gets into mindsets and strategies for both salespeople and for leaders. Sales is an invitation to something great, and no matter who you are, you'll get great insights from this conversation with Justin Janowski. and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. My guest today is Justin Janowski. Justin sold Cutco starting back in 2006 was highly successful with the company, sold over $200,000 personally, became a manager, was a district manager for a couple of years and produced almost a million dollars in business as a manager. He is now the founder and CEO of Faith to Influence, which is a coaching organization that is targeted at helping Christian coaches to build their businesses. Justin has become an expert in the areas of sales and influence, and that's primarily what we're gonna talk about here today. Justin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Dan. It's a pleasure. Excellent. I know you will add lots of value to our audience here today, so I'm grateful for your time and your expertise. Let's start by hearing about your Cutco experience. Justin, take us back to 2006 and how you got started. All right. It was 2006. It was early June. I remember I I opened
0: a newspaper, Dan, and I probably was one of the last people to do this, but I opened the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel newspaper that my parents had, uh, just graduated high school, and saw an ad in the paper. And I didn't know exactly what it was, but it shared a really high base pay, and it seemed like a cool opportunity. And I remember lining up the interview, putting on a shirt and tie and going in, and Andrew Mortensen, who's a great friend of mine uh, to this day, he interviewed me. He was the assistant manager of the company in Milwaukee of the local district office, but he was wearing a pinstripe suit and he had a goatee. He was only 20 years old, but he looked a lot older than that. And I thought this is the president of the company. And I was <laughs> so excited when he invited me into the interview. I was really excited and kind of blown away by the products and like seeing the scissors cut a penny and all of the uh, all the old tricks that just kind of displayed the quality of Cutco. And I remember him reaching across the table at the very end and shaking my hand and offering me the job. And I was so excited. And I went home and told my parents. And I know not everyone has this experience, but my parents just kind of support whatever I'm doing pretty unconditionally. And they were excited for me. And I just felt like I could, I could make a lot of money doing this. This could be really fun. And, and I went to training. I got one of my buddies to come with me because I was so excited. And he was like, dude, that sounds amazing. I'm in. And I remember launching from training and going to my first appointment making my first sale, and just like fist-pumping on the way back to the car, feeling so excited. Like, oh my gosh, this worked. And I was somebody who like actually followed the manual. And I was just like, really simple execution. I like things to be as easy as possible. So I just executed on what Kevin Hanna... He was running the office in Milwaukee at the time. He was my manager. What he taught me in training and Eileen Hunter and Jason Heimer, one of my assistant managers, one of my best friends to this day. I was the best man at his wedding. And they taught me so many good things. And I just utilized what they taught me. I made sales. I felt the thrill of making sales. I absolutely loved it. I was one of those weird people. I was never skeptical. I just loved it from the beginning. And I ended up selling about $30,000 in my first summer, which made me the top new rep in my office. But I had such a fun experience. And I met the most amazing people who are some of my best friends today. Many, several, like four or five people from Cutco stood up in my wedding when I got married. And one last story I'll share about my rep experience is I remember going to a team meeting for the first time where I was actually going to be a speaker. And I remember having like a few note cards and like writing some notes about what I was going to speak on. And I had never really done public speaking, which is what I do today in my coaching business all the time. And this was my first experience in front of a crowd delivering a speech. And I remember being nervous and my hands being shaky, but being so encouraged by my managers, by my team members, by my friends in the office afterwards and being told, I'm really good at this, or I've got great potential to be a great speaker. And and throughout my Cutco career, I had so many opportunities to speak at division meetings and team meetings and conferences. And those experiences changed my life and really opened the door to the work that I'm doing right now. And ultimately, I became a manager. I loved running my office. I loved training. I trained a few 10K fast starters. and It was super fun to work with those high-level achievers and get my first experience coaching, which is what I do now. And so when I think about what I do now, it's, it's sales, coaching, and speaking. That is what I do. And I learned how to do all of those things in my experience like four or five years in Cutco. And I do want to mention one more name, which is Greg Strine, who took over the Milwaukee office a year into my career and was such an incredible mentor and friend to me and really pushed and challenged me and got the best out of me, especially as a speaker and as a leader. And so that experience has been really foundational
1: to what I do right now. Amazing! Thanks for sharing that. That was really great uh, for our audience to hear, I'm sure. And and I'd love to hear more of the lessons that came out of those years. Like, what what do you feel like are some of the concepts, ideas, sort of signature lessons that stand out that you still apply to this day? Mm -hmm. Well, I learned I learned not to judge people. I've got
0: our rules of engagement at my company behind me. One of them is be curious first and critical second. Mm -hmm. I learned that at Cutco. To be curious first and to not prejudge. I remember I had a, a sales appointment, Dan, that was in a trailer park. I didn't realize it was there until I got there. And it was my first time having a Cutco appointment in a trailer. However, I didn't have that appointment because I knocked on the door and they weren't there. Nobody answered. And at the time, I kind of prided myself on being tailgate ready, which is a Wisconsin thing. I like had a chair in my trunk. I had a cooler with some waters. I had some snacks. I just pulled out a chair and sat down and waited to see if they were going to come home. Maybe they were just running 10 or 15 minutes late. They did not come home, but the trailer next door did. Uh, It was a little family of four. They jumped out of the car. The kids just got back from soccer. And I, I said, hey, do you know your neighbor's I was supposed to have an appointment for them. And I, I drove like 45 minutes to get here. They don't seem to be home. Is there any way you can contact them? Anyways, they tried to help me out. They couldn't get in touch with their neighbor. And I said, well, could I just do an appointment for you? I get paid just to show it. So you don't need to buy anything, but I'd love to show you the cool kitchen stuff I've got. And they accepted. And I they actually brought a table out of their trailer and we sat right in front and we just did the appointment outside. And I remember thinking... When I got there, like, oh, no, this, these people aren't going to build a Ford Cutco. This was earlier on in my career. And mm-hmm. then I remember even thinking as I set up the appointment with the neighbors, like, well, they're not going to buy, but it's really nice that they'll meet with me. And I had driven a long way. But while I wasn't certain that they were going to buy, and I had some negative self-talk, some stories running in my own head, something about maybe my training, the way people showed up for me in the office, something about all of that led me to just do the right thing anyways and show up and like try to honor this person, try to be kind do my very best. And they bought the Homemaker Plus 8 at the end of the conversation. Like it was a $1,000 sale. And, and I never judged anybody ever again after that. I thought, these people who have no idea who I am, random chance encounter outside of their trailer, were willing to buy the Homemaker Plus 8, put it on their credit card and just take care of it. That was a great lesson for me, not to judge people and to be really curious. They happen to be some of the nicest people I'd ever met with. It was such a fun appointment. And I learned that over and over again. There were a few times where I was referred to a house that was magnificently large, and I thought it was going to be an amazing appointment. They were going to buy so much, and maybe the people weren't as nice, or maybe they didn't buy anything. Or I sold a cutting board. I would always try to sell something, and they might buy a cutting board or a paring knife for me or something. And I found that oftentimes, whatever my preconceptions were of people and situations, in many cases, they were wrong. And so over time, through that experience in Cutco, I learned to just remain open and curious and not make those kinds of assumptions. I think that that has really served me as a key lesson. And do you want a couple of
1: more? Should we pause there? That is a great one. I definitely want more. Yeah. That one is awesome. And it's such an important lesson. I mean, success in sales certainly begins with mindset. Yeah. And I always try to remind people, when i'm training people about selling cutco that we are showing people a product that if they purchase they're going to use every day mm-hmm. for the rest of their life and it's reasonably priced and it is affordable for most people particularly if you take into account like a five-part payment plan on a thousand dollar order right that's 200 bucks today almost anybody can do that and there's so much more value than there is price in what we're offering yeah. And when the value is so much higher, people should want to buy. And our job as salespeople is then just to help them feel comfortable saying yes. Mm-hmm. And you know, your mindset around that is a big part of that initially. So I love that idea of just not prejudging. right? Yeah. That's a great one. That's a great one. Yeah, yeah. Give, me, give me some more.
0: All right. Another lesson that comes to mind, I'm thinking about my manager experience here, is, and I teach this today to my clients that I'm coaching, is that I believe that true leaders help people remember who they really are. And what I mean by this is that true leaders see people for the very best of who they could be. Because that's probably who they really are, that very best version of themselves, which isn't always showing up because of a number of different forces acting upon us, our influences, our network, our family. The the situations and experiences that we've been through, the traumas that people have been through. There's so many things that get in the way of us being the very best of who we are. But I believe that true leaders see people for the best of who they are. And even better than that, they see people for who they can be. I remember developing this belief in people at Cutco. And maybe Greg Shrine helped call this out of me. But when I was a district manager in Wisconsin at that time, we had only ever had 10K fast starters in the district office in Milwaukee. No other office had had 10K fast starters. We had some good managers in Wisconsin, but it just wasn't happening. We were a newer division and, uh, and it, it was a threshold that hadn't been passed. I had ten, four 10K fast starters in my first two summers and they were the first four in the division. I think my second summer, a couple of others did at the same time make those sales or have, have reps have 10K fast starts. But for me... I remember calling Greg over and over and over after training day one and telling him, I've got a 10K fast starter in training. I probably told him that 25 times. I was only right four, but I was willing to believe over and over and over again. And with those four people, I believed in them more than they probably believed in themselves. And that was necessary. They needed my confidence, which leads to another lesson, which is that like emotion is contagious. Motion is contagious. If we come in feeling confident and excited and enthusiastic, like we're probably going to find that our prospects feel that way too. If we feel peaceful, they're probably going to feel that way too. If we come in scared or nervous, they're probably going to feel scared and nervous. And that doesn't make a great buying environment. But it's the same thing that's true in our office with our reps. Like the reps of the office will oftentimes take on the emotional, energetic of the leader. And so for me, my confidence, my certainty in them, my belief in them was so strong. That I believed enough for the both of us when they couldn't quite believe at that level. And I think that helped them make more sales, that helped them even just have like, you know, in the Christian faith, we might call it a mustard seed of faith, that they could do it. And helping them like get to that level of just a little bit of faith, because I had so much made different things possible for them that wouldn't have been possible without that complete and unwavering belief. And so I I think that's just so important to see people for the best of who they can be, to communicate that to them, to be. Loud and expressive, and be willing to be wrong by believing in people more than we're trying to protect ourselves by not believing.
1: Yeah. Brilliant insights, Justin. I just really love those lessons from your experience. I know that we're going to get into today a lot of specific sales skills, things to say, things to do. But these elements of mindset that we've talked about already here really set the stage for every other element of what we could discuss what we could teach people to be able to work none of it works without that mindset right mm-hmm. expecting to succeed expecting to do well seeing that in other people when you're a manager when you're a leader all that stuff is so critical to success and i just really appreciate that you've you've found that you got those nuggets from your cutco experience and that they've transferred over to what you're doing now really good yeah. stuff
0: yeah absolutely my pleasure
1: yeah So you're in a coaching business now, it's niched at Christian coaches and coaches, obviously a part of what they do is helping other people and giving guidance and feedback and being another set of eyes on someone else's life and on their business. But a huge part of what coaches do is selling their service, Mm -hmm. right? Like you just, you have to be great at sales if you want to get into coaching. And you had a chance to develop those skills at Cutco, and you've really refined them over the years working in in your coaching business. And so I really want to talk about selling and influence today. We've begun with a few nuggets on mindset. I feel like you probably have a little more that you could share on just the mindset, things that go into being successful in sales and influence before you're actually in front of the customer or client, right? Let's talk about Absolutely. that a little bit.
0: Absolutely, Dan. And I, I think a mindset is so much more important than structure of a sales call, which is why, and I'm not going to advocate for this, but occasionally you get a new rep who doesn't follow the manual, doesn't pay a lot of attention, doesn't seem like they're doing things by the book the right way, but they're making a ton of sales because they've got this mindset and belief that they're going to make sales. And so they get better results than the person who's maybe following things by the book, but doesn't quite believe. And so we need to get to that place of like a healthy mindset and i mean a better equation is to follow the manual listen to your mentors learn grow work on the skill set become great at structure wow having a really powered mindset mm-hmm. but an empowered mindset can make up for you know a new rep who's learning the structure who is not as strong at that piece yet when we believe in ourselves and we've got a great mindset sales becomes so much easier and so for me there's there's really kind of three pieces on that that i focus on which is your identity and which means who you believe yourself to be As a second piece, your emotional state going into the call. How are you feeling when you get to that sales conversation, whether it's on Zoom or in person? And then the third piece is, what stories are you telling yourself? What's the mental self-talk that's going on? Stories about money, stories about what sales is, stories about your prospects, those sorts of things which we've already touched on. And so getting into the identity piece first, one of the reasons I've been very successful in sales is because I really believe positive things about myself. And so I believe that I'm a great coach. I believe that I'm a great salesperson. I believe that I'm a great leader. I believe that being a good salesperson is a good thing. Uh, A lot of people struggle with that. And that's the story piece about what sales is and what it means to be in sales. But I believe a lot of really empowered things about myself. And because I have that positive self-talk, it's easy for people to feel that from me. They believe Mm -hmm. that I'm a great coach because I believe I'm a great coach. And you can feel when you're in the presence of a leader or a salesperson who's confident, a person who believes in themselves. And naturally, they're more authentic because they're not trying to hide or be somebody else or pretend because they like who they are. And that work on our identity, like this for some people is easy. And if you're listening to this and like, oh, that's for me, that's easy. I've got that down. Congratulations, you're rare and you're in a really good place having a positive identity. But for those who have a really negative self-talk, They've got stories about who they are that are really disempowering. Maybe they think they're not good enough. Maybe they think that they're not a good salesperson or they're not a good coach or not a good leader or who are they to be doing this, whatever it is that we're doing. If we've got that negative self-talk, I want to just invite people to recognize that it probably didn't come from you. You know, it probably came from a parent, came from a grandparent, came from a teacher, came from friends or not friends, acquaintances at school when we were kids. Oftentimes our identity is shaped based on early experiences we've had. And you may have had some experiences with other people that disempowered you. And they may have placed some of their stories in your head and they've been rolling around in there for a long time. And it may simply be time to like let go of those stories or as John A. Cuff would say, write a new soundtrack, put a new one on. And, and I'm just gonna give three quick ideas on how you can begin to embark on the journey of developing your identity to a much more empowering place, which is a journey worth going on three ideas. Number one would be to write empowering I am statements. You might write 10 or 15 or 20 or more and just say, I am a great salesperson. I am a good person. I am a generous person. I am an honest person. I am a loving person. I have my client's best interest at heart. I am a leader and so on and so on. And you may write these things and read them again and again, because when you're writing them, reading them, saying them out loud... That's the soundtrack that's playing in that moment, at least. And if it goes back to the other soundtrack, fine, then read them again. And if we play that soundtrack over and over and over again, it might replace the old one and stay on even when we're not thinking about those things. And the second way to improve our identity is to surround ourselves with people who speak life into who we are. People who really believe in who we are, believe in our dreams, believe that we're good enough, believe that we can do it, compliment us, see the best in us and speak that life into our lives, our businesses, our dreams. And like that, I learned at Cutco too because the people in my office believed in me. They encouraged me. They told me wonderful things about who I was all the time. They reflected the best of who I was to me all the time so that I could see it and believe it. And so if anyone who's listening feels like, their network, their community, the people around them are not speaking life. They're doing something else. They're discouraging. They're speaking in a way that lessens who we are or tells us that we're not good enough or it's not possible for us. That community, those people, they're going to be anchors to something that we don't want. And so we may need to up-level the community and surround ourselves intentionally and pour energy into the people who speak life into us. And let's make sure we're that person for others. And Mm -hmm. for me, in, in my faith, like the third piece is just to pray. Like, you know, you, you might pray, you might think of it as an affirmation instead and just say, oh, God, help me to work on and develop my identity, help me to see myself in a more empowered way. And so I think those are, are three different things that we can do right away. And if it's not prayer for you, maybe it's meditation. Just sit and think about it and pause and breathe in a stronger identity.
1: Yeah, so powerful. Justin, of course, most people that come into Cutco are brand new to sales. And so they don't have an established identity as Mm. someone who can succeed at this. They might have an identity as someone who succeeds in general in life. You know, I had an identity when I started of someone who was a good learner, a good student. I was very good academically, but I was terrible socially and like communication wise and those things. I, I didn't have any of those skills. So I had a hard time seeing that part early on. But, you know, most people are are new and so they don't have that well-established identity. And the idea of creating I am statements is something that I think is very powerful. I actually had, I volunteer in my kids' classes to read a book once a month that has a story or a lesson or a moral and like discuss it with the kids. And I had third graders doing I am statements this year at my kids' schools. I, I think that's such a powerful idea to program ourselves. And then, of course, the idea of surrounding ourselves with the right people is so critical. And if you find yourself in a situation where you're telling your, let's say it's a parent about your day at work, and their response is like, see, I told you, you can't do it, or, you know, like, stop having those conversations. Just stop having those conversations. Realize, like, I'm not going to get good feedback here. I'll talk about other stuff with my, you know, mom or dad or whoever it is, but I'm going to have those conversations over in this circle of people where I'm going to get positive feedback that helps me and encourages me. I think that's such an important thing to make sure we do is that we're controlling the inputs that go into our mind, whether it be through our, you know, our controlling our own inputs or controlling the inputs of others. That's all part of helping with the programming that can lead us to that proper identity that you described. Yes, that was great stuff right there on identity. I, I love it. What else puts people in the proper mindset? Mm. Uh, you mentioned there were three parts to the mindset, and identity was one of them. Yeah. What else? What else comes to play? Comes into play here.
0: Yeah, identity is the first, and the second one is your emotional state in any given moment. How do you feel? You know, somebody whose identity is in progress. Maybe you're working on this. That's hard for yourself. You've got, you struggle with some negative self-talk. If you're in a peak emotional state where you feel really good, you can overcome an identity in progress. On the flip side, like if you're going through some hard things personally and your emotional state is a little bit weakened, but you've got a very strong identity and you know who you are at your core, you can overcome that lower emotional state. But we, we really want to get one of these two as a strength and everybody can impact their emotional state in a moment. Everybody can choose right. to feel good in a moment. And you know the, the way to do this is to first identify what are the three emotions you feel when you're at your very best. For me, Dan, when I'm at my best, I feel confident, I feel loving, and I feel peaceful. A peacefulness that's like, I don't need anything. I've got everything that I need. In fact, I continue to abundantly receive everything I could ever possibly need. And because I'm at peace, I know I don't need any one sale. I know I don't need any one client. There's no desperation. I'm at peace when I'm on a sales conversation. I'm at my best when I'm at peace. It's kind of like dating somebody who's too desperate or wants it too badly becomes a little bit less interesting to the other person in many cases. And it's probably not how it should be, but that's the way it oftentimes is. Somebody who's abundant and at peace and they don't need anything from the other person becomes a lot more interesting. And the same thing's true in sales. And so for me, it's confidence, love, and peace. So then my question becomes, after I know those emotions, how do I get myself feeling those things before a sales call, before a speaking opportunity, before this podcast, or whatever it might be? And it's what I would call your pre-call ritual. Your pre-call ritual is something that you can fall back on again and again and again. And you can do it in one minute or three minutes or five minutes to get yourself... In a really peak emotional state where you're feeling amazing. When you feel great, you're going to get different results when you don't feel so good. And so, for some people, that might be playing a song that they love that just kind of gets them into state. Maybe you dance to the song. Maybe you sing it out loud. For other people, it might be uh, doing some push ups or some jumping jacks or running around the room. Or you can simulate like physical activity just through oxygen and breath. You might take deep breaths through your nose in like. Weird, like intense ways that that normal people don't do. But, like, if you get some oxygen to your brain, you're going to change the way you feel in a moment. You're going to have more energy. It might be that you drink a glass of water. It might be that you pray. It might be that you meditate. It might be that you read some of those empowering I am statements. You could even close your eyes and remember a time where you were awesome. Like, remember your biggest sale. Remember that time on the, the field that you like played great. Remember that time on the stage that you performed well or that great report card or that compliment that you received from something like just close your eyes and remember a time that you were awesome that you were great and then associate back to that moment like why were you so great like you are still that person or maybe even imagine your appointment going really well okay so some of the people listening are like this stuff's weird what are you talking about it might just again be for you a few deep breaths and saying i want like for me, I'm like, God, help me to be confident, loving, and peaceful. Help me to be confident, loving, and peaceful. Help me to be confident, loving, and peaceful. Even to just say those emotions makes me feel more of it. Mm -hmm. If this isn't for you, let it go. However, people who are exceptional are willing to do weird things to feel great. And these are some of the strategies. You need to find your equation for that and make sure that you're able to do it right before the conversation. So you don't go in feeling nervous or scared or like you're not enough. You go feel in feeling awesome, calling yourself back to a state you've been in over and over and over again. And again, it could be just be a song that you listen to. It gets you there.
1: Yeah. Super powerful. Uh, I, I love that stuff as well. Another way of looking at the word weird is unique or different. And I think that yeah. All of us want to be unique and different in how we perform, right? Nobody wants to be an average performer. I used to, I used to laugh when kids would say like, hey, what's the average person doing? I'm like, average sucks, <laughs> right? Nobody wants to be average, right? And so putting ourselves in that peak state, I think that's a, that's a great uh, idea as well that can help people, that, uh, that, that pre-appointment ritual, pre-call ritual that you described. That was excellent. Now, I know know you said the third part of mindset was about our stories, our Mm self-talk, right? Yeah. So when I think about Cutco reps here, Justin, a lot of reps when they're brand new, if they don't sell, they think it's because the customer says, well, I can't afford it. In reality, the customer is probably saying, I don't want to afford this right now. Mm -hmm. That's not how they word it, right? So reps develop stories around money. Mm -hmm. I've also heard some reps say, I don't want to show people I know when I'm brand new. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking like, what are you talking about? Like, we've got this product that we all know is awesome that people can benefit from. Like, wouldn't you want, The people you know to see it first, Mm -hmm. right? But there's something inside them that's holding them back. Yeah. Are those examples of stories or self talk? Is that kind of what you're getting at when you talk about that? Yeah. Yeah. Those are great examples, you know, alongside things like, oh,
0: sales is pushy or sales is awkward or sales is bad or people who have a lot of money are mean or bad or rude or, Something along those lines. There are plenty of people who have stories that like making money is bad or having a lot of money is bad. And they've got a block around receiving mm-hmm. because they they've got this old story, like that, you know, it's it's not good to make money, or that if they were to make money as a commission, that it would be at the expense of the other person because of old movies or shows that they've seen about sales. And and oftentimes these stories aren't true for us and we're overgeneralizing. Mm-hmm. Uh so an example of this would be like the, you know, one of my clients, Laura Neiser, thought that. Sales was pushy. I said, Laura, are you pushy? She said, no, 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 no. I said, okay. If I got you on a sales call, would you be pushy? She said, no, no, I can't do it. That's why I'm not good at sales. I said, okay, so if we put you on a sales call and you weren't going to be pushy, what would you do? How would you show up for the other person? She said, well, I'd show up in service of them. I said, okay, interesting. So is sales with you pushy? And the answer was, well, I guess not. So what is sales with you? And she says, sales with me is service. So she's Mm -hmm. rewriting this old story, this old narrative, so she can tell herself the more empowering, true story again and again and again. Now, in in some of the examples that you gave, different things like this this person can't afford it is a story. And some of us, we're not even waiting to hear that objection like, oh man, this is too much or I can't afford it. We've given ourselves that story before we even started the appointment. Mm -hmm. We've given ourselves the story that this person's going to say it's too much. And then we are, because we have that belief, because we have that story, we're sabotaging the entire appointment. We are showing up and cutting corners. We're not giving our very best because we don't want to feel rejected or hurt. We've got this story that if we don't make a sale and we give our best, we're going to feel rejected. We're going to feel hurt. And if we hold that story and then we don't believe they're going to buy because we think they're going to say it's too much money, well, now we're not going to give our best so we don't get hurt. And that is a really harmful way to show up. It's like completely self-sabotaging all of our potential success and taking away the opportunity from the other person to make their decision and get something awesome in their house, something that they're going to love, that they're going to use every day forever. And so that's not really fair to ourselves. It's not really fair to them. You know, We might recognize that if we show up and give our best and we love and respect people, whether they buy or not, they'll love and respect us whether they buy or not. We might recognize that, like, I know that story, like, oh man, I don't want to show people I know. That's probably coming from this old story that people will judge me for being in sales. Or Mm -hmm. people will judge me for asking them if they want to have an appointment or people won't like me as much. There's this old story. It's just not true. What's the truth about invitations? You know, I, I like to think, Dan, of, of sales. Like when, when I think of sales, for me, sales is simply making it as easy as possible for the right people to say yes. Sales, when done right, is a loving invitation for people to buy something they want or become more of who they were meant to become, achieve more of what they want. And so for helping them get more of what they want, become more of who they want to become or achieve something that they want. That's a really, really wonderful invitation. And so if I think of sales as an invitation to something great, I need to recognize as a salesperson that my responsibility is to invite people. Mm -hmm. And I need to recognize that they've got a responsibility to make their decision. I want to be influential in making it easy for the right people to say yes, but I'm not going to take it personally if they say yes or no or later because that's their decision. That's their responsibility. And what I know about invitations is this. Here's the true story about invitations. I think about like a wedding invitation, a party invitation. People are the most hurt and disappointed when they're not invited. Mm -hmm. Nobody who declines to attend the wedding or the party is upset that they were invited to it. They're only upset if they weren't invited and they wanted to be. And so to me, when I think about sales, if I'm selling something of great integrity, something good, I'm extending an invitation for people to have something that would be the sort of thing that could make their life a little bit better. And that's a loving invitation. And I want to invite as many people as possible and allow them to decide whether or not they want to say yes. And I'm going to love and respect them, whether they say yes or no, and they'll do the same for me. And in fact, if I give my best and they say no, and I lovingly give my best and end the conversation in a really empowered way for both of us, they're going to like, respect and appreciate me even more than they did before that no, before that conversation. It's going to deepen the relationship, whether they buy or
1: not. Such a great insight, Justin. Just the whole mindset around sales is an invitation, mm-hmm. right? It's just such a great way for people to look at what they're doing when they're involved in some aspect of selling and influence. And I just think that was, that was really fantastic. Thanks a lot for that. That was great.
0: My pleasure. And, and one, one last thing on this, Dan, briefly, is to make the point that like, the key here is to gain awareness. What is the story we're telling ourselves? If we mm. see the story, then we can decide to transform it and write a new, more empowering, more true version of that story that's been holding us back. If we stay blind to the old story that's not working, we're never going to be able to solve the problem, which is usually a mindset problem. It's not a prospecting problem. It's not a sales strategy problem. It's an old story. But if we can just
1: be aware enough to find the story, then we can decide to change it. Yeah, exactly. And and as I was listening to that, Justin, I, my mind couldn't help but think about Cutco Vector managers and their stories about their people. Mm-hmm. Oh, this recruit lives over there, or, oh, this kid's dressed like this, or, oh, this kid, you know, doesn't go to college or whatever it might be. The uh, managers develop so many stories that I think limit them from being able to develop their people
0: mm-hmm. as
1: well as they can. And, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about that earlier, and I, I just think that, that, that that's what kind of came to my mind when I thought about those stories. And Dan,
0: the, for the manager who has that old story, the new empowering story might be, this is an opportunity. Like, it's not like, it's not a threat. It's not, a, it's not something bad. It's not like, oh no, this person's not gonna be great in training or oh no, this person's not gonna be able to sell and oh, this is gonna hurt my statistics or something like that. The empowered manager says, this is an opportunity for me to become a better leader. Mm-hmm. That's the story. Or this person simply needs someone to believe in them. And I'm going to be that person. That might be the empowered story. And what a gift it would be if this person from that neighborhood, from that life experience, had someone, a real leader, a real mentor who believed in them and empowered them and spoke life into them for the first time in their lives. If they sold nothing, but we gave them that gift, we would have been creating an incredible experience, changing lives, selling knives. And if they end up selling a lot, it can change their life even more because it's going to open up different and new doors professionally that they would have never had without having developed that sales skill set. And the fact that they came from adversity to develop it is going to make them the most important success story
1: that we have as managers. Exactly. Such great stuff, Justin. I, I really appreciate that. That was awesome. Let's get into a few nuggets on actually working with the customer, the potential client. You're in a sales call. And one of the first keys is connecting with the person, right? Establishing rapport, finding that connection. How do you do that? Yeah. Man, this is interesting because I'm going to tell you, Dan, that my opinion on
0: building rapport right now is a little bit different than it was when I was at Cutco. I remember when I was a new Cutco rep, wanting to build rapport for as long as possible. In my world today, That is about the opposite of what I would like to do. Now, there's maybe an in-between for Cutco reps than what I'm going to tell you right now. So I I want context. But for me as a coach right now, people pay me a lot of money for coaching. And they really care about the time. And I really care about the time. And I've got a limited amount of time available. And so I don't want to waste their time or mine. And I also want to do everything I can to avoid sales avoidance. Mm -hmm. So many people get spend too much time in rapport because they're avoiding the actual sales conversation because they've got some kind of fear around it. I believe that sales is so good and so empowering. And I'm going to ask deep, important questions during sales conversations that will, in fact, get us into more rapport and deepen the relationship. So I don't want to avoid any of that. I want to get right into the good stuff. I'm not there to try to do anything other than find out if it makes sense for us to work together and serve them through the conversation that we have. Mm -hmm. And so I want them to like me, but they're going to like me throughout the nature of the conversation, the questions I ask. So for me, I get into rapport in like 30, 60, or 90 seconds. I'm like, Hey, how are you? How's your day been so far? Awesome. They're like, how's your day been? I'm like, my day has been amazing. Thank you for asking. I'm so excited to be talking to you. And I'm going to transition into my pre-frame. It's pretty quick because I'm going to build rapport all throughout. To me, rapport is about being connected. I call it connectivity, being really connected to the other person. And it's done throughout the course of the conversation. I want to get to my pre-frame so I can be transparent that I'm there to sell something if it's a fit. I want to transparently share that in a loving way. I think sales doesn't feel good when it seems like it's sneaky. If it's honest, transparent, upfront, feels really good. People love to buy stuff. They just don't want to be tricked. (laughs) So I want to be transparent upfront. But in that 30, 60, 90 seconds, I'm paying attention to a few things. And I'm going to pay attention to this throughout the entire call, which is, number one, how is this person feeling? How are they actually feeling? What's their emotional state coming into the conversation? And I also want to pay attention to how they communicate so I can communicate in language that they can receive. This is how I'm going to be in great rapport with them. And so if they're coming to the conversation, they're like, oh my gosh, Like I'm, I'm like, how are you? They're like, oh, I'm stressed. I've been back to back to back today. So many calls. I'm just kind of worn out. For me, I'm like, oh, I've been there. I've had days like that. That's, that can be heavy. Let me ask you a question. Is this still a good time for us to connect? Or would you rather reschedule to another day? I can do this because I know I'm going to follow... Like, we're going to reschedule right now if they're going to. and We're going to book the next call. But 99% of the time, they say, no, this is, this is a good time for me. I say, okay, great. Do you want five minutes just to grab some water? Use the bathroom, take a breath. I can wait. You can come back. Like, especially if I'm on Zoom. So I just want to like check in with them and honor where they're at, meet them emotionally where they're at. But on the flip side, like if they come in, they're like, oh my gosh, my day's been awesome. I'm lo- I'm loving my day. I'm like, oh, I love days like that. I'm celebrating with you. That give me some of that energy. I love it. I'm excited to be talking with you. This is really fun already. And then I'm going to transition into my pre-frame. So I want to meet them energetically, emotionally, where they're at. And mm-hmm. I can pace and lead. If they're in a poor emotional state and I meet them where they're at, they're like, oh, another sales conversation. I'd be like, oh, I know. Don't you hate those? This isn't going to be like that, I promise. But I'm going to like meet them in that energy of like, oh, if that's like, that's not going to happen. That doesn't happen on sales conversations very often. But like, if it did, that's how I'd meet them right there. But the other thing I'm paying attention to is their volume, their pace of communication, their tone. My grandpa talks really loud. He doesn't hear very well. If you talk quietly to him as a salesperson, you're going to be out of rapport and lose the sale. You need to raise your volume. My grandma talks really softly and quietly. And if you're loud with Grandma Sally, she's going to feel intimidated and uncomfortable. doesn't matter if that's your personality. She's, not, she's going to want you to go. Mm-hmm. And so with grandpa, I talk louder. And then grandma might tap me on the shoulder for an event together. And I might turn and talk to grandma and I'm lowering my voice. I'm being softer. I need to go slower with grandma. I need to go a little bit more direct and fast with grandpa to be in rapport with them. I've got a client, Albert Pellichet in Louisiana, who likes to tell stories. I'm going to tell more stories with Albert. I've got clients in New York and LA who want to get to the point. I'm going to be really direct with my conversation. Mm -hmm. These things are going to make a really big difference.
1: Yeah. I definitely feel like the concepts of matching and mirroring are important in creating rapport and that connection. And gauging what style of communication is going to be proper for a given customer. I think a lot of Cutco reps take a long time in rapport building because there's a networking element to what Cutco reps are doing as well while they're trying to sell Cutco. Mm-hmm. There's also this getting to know people, building your sphere of influence right? Mm-hmm. that happens and that might not apply necessarily in, in your business or every other business now. But you talked about your pre-frame. Pre-framing is something I love teaching. I remember learning it from Tony Robbins many, many years ago, and I feel like it's a, it's a very important part at the start of any sales presentation. Tell us how you do that in your business first. Yeah, for
0: me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to set the stage with my pre-frame. It's going to lay out the structure of how we're going to get through this call and what the outcome of the call is. It's going to make sales really transparent, and it's going to invite consent to sell. And it's mm-hmm. going to sound something like this. Like, hey, John, thanks so much for taking the time to connect with me today. I want to make the best use of your time and mine. So I'd just like to lay out a simple structure for this call. Would that be okay? Yes? Cool. The reason we're talking is Dan tells me that you're a really great coach and also a great person. And I work with Christian coaches to help them optimize their business model, their pricing and their sales strategies so they can scale their income and scale their impact. My outcome in a call like this today is to get to know you a bit and to discover whether or not it's a fit for us to work together. And the way I'd like to get to that outcome is by asking you some questions about where you're at in your business right now, what your vision and goals are for the future, and what some of the challenges are that you're facing right now. From there, I'll give you some perspective and coaching based on what I hear. And if it seems like a good fit, I'll explain really specifically how I work with my clients. And then you and I can decide either to work together or not work together.
1: And either way is fine. Does that sound okay? Hmm. Great. Yeah. I like it. I like it. Justin, I feel like every listener should back this recording up about 60 or 90 seconds right now. Just listen to that again. Take in what Justin is saying, what he's trying to accomplish right here, and think about any conversation you're having where a specific point of influence is the goal, what you're trying to accomplish something with that conversation. Think about how you could pre-frame that and get that agreement from the person you're talking to. What should come of this conversation? I think that that's a very, very powerful insight. Can you adapt that to Cutco? Just off the top of your head, like how would you apply that to the Cutco business?
0: Yeah, and feel free to massage this with your language, but I would say something like this, like, hey, John, thanks so much for taking the time to connect with me today. I really appreciate your time and want to make good use of it and mine. So could I set a simple structure for this call or for this conversation? Yes, Mm -hmm. cool. The reason we're talking is Mary Smith down the street had an appointment with me loved cutco and said that you would like it as well and thought we should meet. And my outcome in a call like this, a conversation like this is to get to know you a little bit better, to understand like what's important to you in the kitchen and how you interact with your family around food. And then I'd like to also figure out whether or not it makes sense for us to get you some cutco in your kitchen and whether or not that might make being in the kitchen, being around food, preparing food for your family a little bit easier and a little bit more fun. And so the way I'd like to get to that outcome is by asking you some questions, again, about what life is like right now in the kitchen and around mealtime with your family. And then I want to ask you some questions about your vision for what that could be like. And I also want to talk about some of the challenges that you feel like you experience in your kitchen right now, whether it's dull knives or things that are rusty or not working, or you can't find the right tool for the job at hand, or you just don't have a nice setup in the kitchen that feels comfortable and helps you feel confident cooking, what are you running into that's hard? And then ultimately, at the end of the conversation, if it seems like Cutco may be a fit for you, I'm going to explain really specifically how our products work, some of the features and benefits, and invite you to jump in and try some of them. We'll actually be able to do some of that together today, and then you can decide which package of Cutco makes sense for you. Does that sound good? hmm Excellent. Something like that. And I would make it really conversational after that before getting to the offer of Cutco.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I, I think if you're a vector manager, you could back that one up. You could listen to that a little bit. You could massage it, probably make it a little more concise in a couple spots and bring that together as a great way to pre-frame a Cutco presentation. You talked about you want to ask a lot of questions to get to know more about the, the customer. What are some questions you feel like Cutco reps can ask in this sort of like discovery phase?
0: Yeah. So I might I might begin with, so tell me about your family. And like start there. Like tell me about your kids. Like how, how many kids do you have? How many people are normally eating with you? How often do you entertain? How often are you preparing food to bring other places? Do you cook anywhere besides your kitchen? Talk me through breakfast, lunch and dinner at your house. How's that work for everyone? What were your experiences eating with your family when you were a kid? What kinds of things did your mom and dad like to cook? What sort of things do you like to cook now? Are there some things that you'd like to cook that you're not cooking yet? Have you ever eaten something at a restaurant and thought, "Man, I'd really like to make that at home or at somebody else's house?" Like, are there some things that would be like kind of dream recipes for you to learn how to cook? Cool. Like those those kinds of discovery where they start to like you can even imagine I'm I'm guessing as you're receiving these questions like how they're starting to build like a different vision for what food, eating, mm-hmm. entertaining, hosting, providing for people around the table can be like What's the conversation like around the table? How often are you all eating together? What are the reasons why you're not all eating together? You know, mm. I, I want to like understand this, and like if we can have Cutco be part of a solution that brings people closer to their family, that helps them entertain, that helps them have more fun in the kitchen, uh, that that creates great food, that makes being in the kitchen feel easy and fun. I mean, these are all really powerful reasons to invest in a product that's going to make that experience better. And so I'm going to discover things like that. And then when we're finding the gap, I'm going to talk about like, you know, what show me what you have in the kitchen right now. Or what do you use on a normal everyday basis? And what are some of the things that annoy you about cooking? What are some of the things that are hard about like your your experience in the kitchen and with your family around the table and things like that? Like, I just want to talk through all of that and get it all on the table, which is going to provide me great information, but also help them find clarity on what's really important to them.
1: Yeah, I like that you're asking what I sensed were two different kinds of questions. There were questions that are designed to help people sort of sense a need now, Mm -hmm. right? What are some things that annoy you about cooking, right? But then there are also questions that help people see a vision of like what, what could be right. That help them see, if they get Cutco, like why it would be beneficial to them, right? So we're, we're we're both trying to ask questions and bring up things that create a need, mm-hmm. right? Finding a gap are the words you I heard you say a few seconds ago, mm. and then we're also trying to paint this vision that like here's the answer with Cutco, right? Yeah, and
0: we're bouncing between the present and the future. So if if the question is how many times are you cooking a week per week right now, well that's not enough. Because oftentimes that's going to leave a reason why not to enhance their experience around it. If they're not cooking very much, the most important question on the back, back end of that is like, in an ideal world, how many times would you like to be cooking a week? Like So taking them back and forth between where they're at and where they want to be, and maybe even going back to their experience as kids. And I know this is like kind of radical probably versus how we sell Cutco in most cases. If it's overwhelming, I'd invite the rep listening, the manager listening to just take one or two questions, implement in what you're already doing. Don't transform the whole strategy at once, but see what it would feel like to try on one or two or three more deep emotional questions around around this experience and see how your prospects respond.
1: Yeah, I like it. I like it. I, I think any rep can take questions that really resonated for them and they can put those into what they're doing. So that was pretty cool. You described closing the sale earlier uh, from the, in the context of an invitation. I've always told people that you know closing is helping someone feel comfortable getting something they already want. Mm-hmm. And that with Cutco, virtually every single person we show wants it. Mm-hmm. There's almost never a customer who if we got to the end and said, okay, it's free, what do you want? Would say, oh, no, 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 I don't, I don't want any, right? People want it. So now our job is to help them feel comfortable Mm -hmm. saying yes, right? To provide that invitation, that opportunity, and help them work through any hesitation. Mm -hmm. Tell tell me a little bit about that, about closing the sale and what are some of your insights on that? Yeah. One thing I'm
0: going to point back to is that closing the sale really has fair amount to do with our identity our stories and our state emotionally when we get to the close if you're really confident cool and fun all presentation and you get to the end to the price and you kind of panic a little bit it's not going to feel so good you know jake merriman uh, one of my mentors years ago told me that the amateur receives an objection and they panic the master receives an objection and says ah an objection to be expected Like We're not surprised. We're not shook by this. It's a normal part of the process for somebody to have a question, a concern, or an objection. So can we maintain a confident, peaceful, calm, emotional state amid objections, questions, concerns, and just recognize this is just part of the process? Can we have a story that not like this is them not wanting to buy and anything beyond this would be me being pushy, but could we instead shift that story and know that This is a normal part of the buying process, and my job is to help it feel easy for this person to get what they want. These kinds of shifts and like that stuff makes a lot of sense, or me believing in my identity that I'm a great closer, like I can curiously help people make the best decision for themselves is really important knowing that I'm, I'm, I've got great integrity and I'm not gonna get the wrong people to say yes. I'm just gonna make it easy for the right people to say yes. And so it comes back to a lot of that stuff that's at play here. But for me, when it comes to handling an objection and closing the deal, I wanna be confident when I present the offer and the price. I wanna ask them to buy. This I learned at Cutco and I've never forgotten it. And I'm surprised how many even coaches these days don't ask for the order. I'm gonna say, so that's worth this much and today it's gonna cost this much is that something that you'd like to do? I like to say the price, have a little pause, which communicates confidence, and then say, is that something that you'd like to do? And then I'm going to wait and be quiet. This I learned at Cutco. I'm going to wait and see what they have to say. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes if we're patient, people are simply going to buy. But if they're not ready to make that decision, if they have an objection, I want to validate how they feel and make it okay for them and me. So if they're like, oh, it feels like that's a lot of money. I'm going to say, Yeah. It is a good investment, isn't it? I'm going to begin there. I'm going to take a breath. It's okay for me. It's okay for them. They're like, oh man, I just, I don't know if we need all these knives. I could totally get it. This is a really solid package set. I'm just going to like resonate. Okay, cool. But then I'm going to get curious. I'm going to find the root of the objection. I'm going to see if there's something else going on. I might lead back to some of the conversation we had earlier. I totally get it. it. It is a big set. And you mentioned earlier that you do this and this and this and this. You're going to need this knife for this. You're going to need this knife for this, this knife for this, this knife for this. Maybe there's one or two that you're going to use less often than the others. That said, you're getting a big discount by buying it in a set. Mm -hmm. Does it make sense to take advantage of that discount and get all the knives that you want at a lower price point than you would if you were just buying them all single file? I, that's just like honest curiosity and like helping them own the truth and like find the truth for themselves. Right. Or it might be like, oh, this is too much money or this is a lot of money. I totally get it. It is a big investment. Talk to me about that. Now that might feel bold for an 18, 19 year old kid to say, but talk to me about that. Like I'm going to like open the door in my coaching conversations on sales calls to people sharing more. Like sometimes it's a lot isn't what we think it is. Right. It doesn't mean they can't afford it. Talk to me about that. Like, is there a number that you, you had in mind that you could afford? And this could then, of course, lead us to a payment plan instead of paying full or things like that. You know, for me, if I've got somebody who wants to talk to their spouse, and for me, I'm selling like you know 10000 thousand dollar packages, it's going to be normal for me to allow somebody the opportunity to talk to their spouse and make a decision the next day. But I'm gonna I'm gonna end the call with yes, no, or the next call booked. If like if I was ever gonna not have a yes on that call, I'm gonna book the next call for the next day so we can have that conversation and make a decision together and commit to making the decision by then. But I'm still going to have them take ownership of their part in the decision. So they're like, oh, I need to talk to my wife about this $10,000 thing. Totally get it. I would talk to my wife too. Let me ask you a question, though. Have you made your decision for you yet? If she says, whatever you think, babe, do you know what you want to do? If they Mm. are like, oh, I don't know. Well, then there's a different objection. It's not actually the spouse. But if they're like, yes, I'm in. I want it. Now they've claimed that out loud, which makes them have a different and more empowered conversation with their spouse. It's much more likely they're going to buy at the pre-design or agreed upon time tomorrow when we're talking and we've got that conversation booked on the calendar. That ownership sort of thing helps. And so I'm just curious, thoughtful, and willing to ask the bold question like that, that really isn't that bold and help them find the truth for them of what's best. And like present an alternative solution, if it makes sense, which could
1: be a drop down to a different set, could be a payment plan super good stuff, being confident in presenting price, asking for the order, objections are expected. I love the, have you made your decision for you yet? Mm -hmm. When somebody gets the spouse objection, Mm -hmm. right? And you can just sense, Justin, how much you ooze that confidence and identity and belief that we started out this conversation with, you can just sense how much you ooze that. And I think that's such an important thing for people to work on and develop. And through selling Cutco, people have a great chance to develop that because it's you know, they're gonna sell more often than not with Cutco as long as they're doing a halfway decent job, right? And uh, it's just it's a great, great way for people to develop that sales confidence that can help them learn how to influence others in all sorts of other settings uh, in life, so. Great, great, great stuff today, Justin. Thank you. Let me give you an opportunity to tell us about Faith to Influence. Yeah. So at Faith to Influence, my primary focus is helping Christian
0: coaches who are running new businesses they are between zero and 100000 in annual revenue, design their business model, price it appropriately based on what the marketplace is offering, and then learn how to sell it in a really high integrity, really high conversion way that's going to help people hit their goals. And so I love that. I've got a six-month sales school for coaches, which is really fun for me. I also get hired by coaches doing over a million dollars in annual revenue to do sales directly for them at conferences or on a retainer basis. And we've got a team of people who help with that uh, high integrity offer, but also high conversion for those really big businesses. So those are the primary things that I do and really just focus on changing the way people feel about sales and helping them find strategies that are gonna help them win in the marketplace. Yeah, and why'd you choose to niche yourself at uh, Christian Coaches only? Yeah, well, for one, I mean, it it identifies with who I am. Like, I love bringing the faith piece into it and being able to pray for my clients. It just opens the door to something that's really special to me. And also, like, from a pure business perspective, having a very narrow target market makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. People think that the more they narrow their target market in business and entrepreneurship, they're gonna be like, letting go of opportunities and they want to help everyone. But if you're a generalist, no one's going to hire you. And it's, it's going to be a lot harder. No, that's not a fair statement. People will hire you. Fewer people will hire you if you're a generalist. And it's very difficult to refer to a general coach because there's so many specialists. And mm-hmm. I'm always going to refer to the specialist who's going to be top of mind. At the same time, when a Christian coach, a Christian entrepreneur hears my message and what I do, they're like, oh my gosh, this is made for me. Yep. Like It's bringing in the, the coaching piece and the faith piece. Like I can trust this. This is made for me. And it helps me become known in the marketplace by being in a niche where there are fewer competitors and where I can provide a service to a specific group of people who have a
1: shared set of problems in many cases that I'm really skilled at solving. Super smart. I love it. How can people follow you if they want to see more of your content and uh, keep in touch with you? Yeah, two ways in mind.
0: Number one is I'd love to give you a free copy of our 10-step sales process and the art of influence that we touched on a lot today. You can get that at www.GoodSalesPDF.com. It's GoodSalesPDF.com. Our 10-step process, the art of influence, and a few other goodies. Primarily speaking to coaches, but it's going to be helpful for every salesperson and entrepreneur. And the other thing that you can do is if you enjoyed this subscribe to our podcast, the Sales Strategies for Christian Coaches podcast.
1: Excellent. Justin, this has been fantastic today. I really appreciate the energy you brought and the value you brought to the audience. Thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun, Dan. Oh man, that was an awesome conversation with some really great, nuggets I love that Justin talked about the thrill of making sales that he had when he started out with Cutco and it's just so cool to know that you know when you make a sale you're actually creating a result that would not have been there without you right and that's the essence of what we try to do as entrepreneurs in life is we're creating something out of nothing and starts with learning how to sell the ideas of identity emotional state our stories and self-talk all being key parts of the mindset that leads to success in sales. Justin asked a great question, which is what are three emotions you feel when you're at your very best? Identifying what those are and knowing how to reconnect to those emotions. Thought that was a critical piece of what he shared. Of course, the discovery questions that he talked about are powerful for any sales conversation. And then closing is an invitation, right? If you believe in what you're doing, you wanna invite someone else to the party, right? Being confident about presenting price, then asking for the order, understanding that objections are expected, right? When we're asking people to purchase Cutco, we're asking somebody to make a one or $2,000 decision typically at first, right? That's not something that everybody's just gonna jump right into. It's natural for there to be hesitation and an objection should be met with confidence. And it is a, a key to being able to get past that Hesitation to making the sale, answering those questions or those objections. Of course, everything Justin talked about applies to managers and leaders as well, believing in their people. I love that he said that true leaders help people see who they really are, help people see the best version of themselves. That to me was a brilliant insight from this conversation, among many other brilliant insights. I wanna refer you to two podcast episodes that we have had on this podcast. I have a solo episode called The Skills of Influence. It is episode number 82. If you like the stuff you heard from Justin today, you'll hear a lot more ideas like that expounding on some of these concepts. And if you are a Cutco sales rep, I have another solo episode that's called Selling the World's Finest. It is episode number 113. And this one gives very specific insights, applying a lot of this same information directly to selling Cutco and doing Cutco sales presentations. If you're a Cutco rep and you haven't heard that one, it is a must. Put it on your list to listen to right away. Episode number 113. All right, everybody. Hope you enjoyed Justin Janowski today. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening If you got value from today's episode, please share it with others and consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player. Subscribing to the podcast is free and ensures that future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. For access to guest bios, show notes, and other resources, visit changinglivespodcast.com. You can sign up there to receive valuable resources for free from people featured on the podcast. And to support our podcast sponsors, visit changinglivespodcast.com slash deals. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives.